This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here to introduce this special holiday episode of the show with our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hello. So this week, it's uh, the week of Christmas as you listen to this, and we're going to be sharing two interviews that Richard has done in recent weeks. Richard, I can't come up with a clever way to say how Leslie Manville and Jamie Bell are related, but you just met with both of them. So uh, tell me what they have in common. Well, I have a tradition every year. I like to, at, toward the end of the year, I'd like to sit down with British people and just talk to them. So that's and, and that's, feel insecure about yeah. your education or your accent. We put on those little paper Christmas crowns that you always see in British movies about Christmas, and we just we you know we do little crackers and all that stuff. So so that's what we did. Not in the same t- at the same time, unfortunately, but yeah, um, we had Leslie Manville to talk about Phantom Thread, which she's wonderful in, and Jamie Bell, who's terrific in um, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, which is a movie with Annette Bening that has been a little overlooked this season, but I think is definitely worth seeing and talking about because as I spoke to Jamie about like it's kind of a breakthrough for him uh, in terms of being a romantic lead because it's different from a lot of stuff he's done before. And this is a very like old Hollywood I always imagine that our listeners are old Hollywood lovers but uh, Annette Bening is playing Gloria Graham so it's got like a nice sort of old Hollywood history bent to it. It's a lovely film I really liked it. And so Leslie Manville uh, is the star of Phantom Thread the new Paul Thomas Anderson film and I think anyone who saw her in Mike Lee's Another Year has been kind of rooting for her to have like a big breakout film again Again, uh, and this seems like it's the one to do it. Yes, she's terrific in it. And, you know, comp- I, I had most associated her with Another Year where she plays this kind of like booze-addled mess. And she walked into the studio just dressed to the nines, looking fabulous, which is much more in keeping with her character in Phantom Thread. Uh, so that was interesting. And while we while we talked, I, I did bring up Another Year. And she had a really interesting kind of anecdote about filming that movie and, and a particular scene. So um, if anyone who knows that movie who's listening, will uh, you should uh, stay tuned for that. So we will be back next week with a, uh, a full roundtable chat as usual. But in the meantime, please enjoy these interviews uh, with Richard and Leslie Manville and Jamie Bell. So first up will be Richard's interview with Phantom Thread star Leslie Manville. Well, I'm sitting across the table from the one and only Leslie Manville. Leslie, thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. It's such a thrill to have you here, uh, not just because I've been a fan of your work for a long time, another year, uh, various other things, but because Phantom Thread, the movie that you're in and here promoting, is such a special... It was my number six on my top ten of the year list, although I, sh- I should have just done it alphabetically because who can really rank these things? <laughs> it's just one of my favorite movies of the year. It's good. really great. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Have you... Have you? Are you already basking in the reception of it? I mean, it's not even really out here in the States yet, but like people have seen it, obviously. Yes, well, there's been industry screenings. Right. And uh, yeah, we were at a screening for um, Ampass members last night. 
which is the academy. It's going down very, very, very well. I mean, you come out of the screening and people are saying very positive and very pleasing things. It feels that it's good, but it's quite early days for it still. I mean, yeah. it doesn't get released in the States till Christmas Day and it doesn't get released in England till the 2nd of February. I mean, the film simply wasn't ready in time to to do any of the festivals. We we didn't stop shooting till April. Uh, so there was no way it could be turned around for Cannes or Toronto or anything. It was hot off the press, really, and we got on the plane and started promoting it. So, yeah, we're, o- we're off and away now. I was at the screening that was the Sunday after Thanksgiving uh, at the DGA Theatre, uh, and you guys were all there for the Q&A afterwards. Oh, yes. And it yeah. just had this sense of occasion to it. You know, everyone was really eager to see this film. It was one of the last things that us critics and other people ha- hadn't seen yet, you know. So, yes, yeah. Um, how do you bear up under all this kind of like you know these ampass screenings and all this kind of press stuff like is is that fun for you or is it stressful or how does that no, i don't I, I don't find it stressful i don't think i i wouldn't i i could bow out of it easily and i would if i found it stressful but i don't i i really like the chance to talk about the work and talk about what we've been through because when you're making a film you're just you're making it and it is what it is and you're so involved in it so in a way it feels like having a a really good debrief. And, you know, the Q&As I've done have always been with Paul and Vicky, and some of them have been with Daniel as well. And it's good to hear what the people you've worked with it on, what they feel about it. And it's I, I quite enjoy working out what I've felt about it too and yeah. having to put my thoughts and feelings into something, uh, into a, a sentence that <laughs> makes sense sure. and uh, help, helps people to understand what we've made. Because I guess those aren't conversations you're necessarily having while you're doing it, right? No, you, you but that's exactly have, it. You're not. You're you're kind of in the thick of it, and you're not. You're 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 being analytical, but in a different way. You're being analytical, and uh, you're digging deep because you're trying to create it. You know, you're you, you're creating those characters, and Paul is creating the film. Now we're you know it's done. We can't change it. I find it fascinating. I like traveling. It's good to be able to be in New York for four days and see some friends and have a little bit of spare time as well. So listen, it's not what I'd call hard work. Well, let's go back. And I'm just curious to hear how you got involved with the project. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson, he's such an American filmmaker. I mean, he makes these films about America, you know, There Will Be Blood and and uh, The Master, although I guess parts of The Master are in England. So this is kind of a departure for him in a sense. And so I'm just curious, like, how, what were the conversations like when you were first kind of getting involved in this? The very first conversation I had with him was incredibly straightforward. My my agent rang me and said, Paul Thomas Anderson wants to ring you at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. I said, oh, tell him I'm going to be doing the laundry or something. (laughs) Make him go away. So uh, he did call at 11 on the dot. And he's one of the nicest men you could wish to meet. He's kind, he's warm. And so he said, look, I've got this film. It's going to be an English story with Daniel. And I'm going to send you a script, have a read and give me a call back. So I did. And that was it. It was as simple as that. And so you knew reading the script, you were like, I, I want to do this. Like it was clear to you then. Listen, he could have asked me to read the phone directory and I would have done it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, given that the script was actually really, really interesting and, uh, and certainly ticked the box of, of the kind of film I'm interested in seeing and the kind of film I'm certainly interested in doing you know it's a relationship film it's there's no car chases it's about 
you know, humans, the human condition. They cut all the musical numbers after you'd filmed them, right? The, yeah, they t- cut my tap routine. Um, yeah. But, it, no, it was, it seemed almost too good to be true. I mean, I was smiling for a very long time. And this was about six, seven months before we started shooting. So I had a nice long time to think about it and do the research and look into the fashion world in the 50s, which wasn't an area that was alien to me. I'd done, uh, I'd done a play that, that was all about the 50s. So I knew that period a bit. But it was fascinating. And I got to know Daniel over that time. And a few drafts would come, a few new drafts. But nothing major changed. Um, it's been an incredible experience. And and I mean, not just because, I mean, I'm incred- incredibly lucky. I have a wonderful career in England. I do. You know, my theatre career couldn't be any better there. I And I do f- fabulous things on television. And I make films with interesting people, not least of all Mike Lee. The cherry on the cake has been to do this film and, and not just because it's, you know, America. Paul is, it's, he's a great director. Yeah, he's one of the greats, I think, right now, you know, and yeah, he happens to be yeah. American yeah. and yeah. quite, quite a treat to work with Daniel as well. And not being British myself, but being friends with people from, from the UK and being, visiting there, the film feels, I mean, it feels authentically true to what it's trying to do you know and which i think is important yes you know it's not some american coming over there and having you guys all saying cheerio and oh no no, (laughs) he's a little bit more subtle than that Um, he certainly knows his stuff yeah well something that i love about your character in the film you you played daniel day lewis's sister um slash business partner i mean she's not just this kind of ancillary sibling she's she's very front and center you have this presence in the movie that is not always verbal but certainly physical and you know we, we get a lot of cuts to to your face just kind of reacting at these hilariously loud breakfasts you know and things like that so how how do you approach doing that where you might not have necessarily you know the sort of torrent of dialogue yeah no film, i hear what but... you're saying it's very hard to say to pinpoint a moment because i think uh i think it's a mistake to to ladle things onto a performance just because you think it might be interesting for me and i think generally with acting and actors that the best things that happen come out of some kind of quiet gestation about things and they sort of almost happen by osmosis and organically and then suddenly you find oh yes there's this so she's like this and in a way that's that's how it happened i mean paul doesn't rehearse at all. He wasn't prescriptive about how to play Cyril. The character's called Cyril, by the way. I had a freedom with it. So sort of having done all the the research to do with everything else, the period and the, the couture side of things, we just started to do the scenes. I mean, we'd shoot and we had the luxury of time. And then Paul gets excited and he sees what you're doing and he... And I was unsure of what to do. I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to start doing some stuff and see, see how it feels. And, you know, and then you, you just start playing around with it. But obviously, as you quite rightly say, it's not so much about what's on, the, what's written for, for Cyril. Um, so I thought, well, I better make, I better make these, these looks quite interesting. But it's, it's not, again, it's not kind of, right, I'm going to do interesting looks here. I mean, it, it comes out of the fact that she is, she is very, her antennae are very, very acute. And she knows when a rubbing Reynolds up the wrong way. She knows when the toast is being buttered too noisily. 
she knows that because her and her brother are so in tune. They've grown up together. They've probably spent most days of their lives together. They're very codependent. They've established this amazing couture house in London together. And they run the business seamlessly. So there's a something very exacting about the pair of them. So I felt that this kind of, and again, it happened organically, but this kind of economy with the way Cyril is just felt right. And then it, once I started doing it, it felt right for Paul. And so we pushed it a bit further and pushed it a bit further and so on. We see a lot in the movie of what Reynolds gets from Cyril. What do you think Cyril gets from him? I mean, like what, what, cause it's, it's, it's not an inequitable relationship. I don't think, I think it's very, there's, there's a parody there that, that is important to their dynamic. So what would you kind of, how would you kind of clarify or describe what she gets from this odd relationship? Well, in a strange way, she gets, she gets everything from him. They are a couple who can, sit at breakfast and say absolutely nothing and it's comfortable. She gets love from him, although it's unstated. She has security. He is her life. She's not married. She's never been married. She's never wanted to be married. It's all about serving him. And there's some backstory that we filled out, Daniel and I, for ourselves and just to support what we felt was there in the script. Is that that's helpful to you to kind of build that build that thing, even if it's never stated? Yeah, I mean it isn't stated, but it is useful. Yeah. And and in a way, although there's not much of an age difference between the two of them, she's like a mother and a sister and a friend and a business partner and a confidant. And, you know, he also has no qualms about getting her to deal with his lovers and muses when he's had enough of them. It, it is a strange relationship, but I think I love films where the relationships are strange. Yeah. And it's not conventional and because nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors with a partnership. And I think it's rare to see uh, a brother-sister dynamic on it screen. It is, yeah. You know, we don't see a ton of that. No. Um, so we see a lot of brothers kind of grappling with each other or sisters, whatever. But that that is, you know, I, you know, I have one sister and I just, we don't have that kind of relationship. But like, there was something in there. I was like, yeah, this is interesting that it's kind of picking away at, at this. Well, most know. siblings, generally speaking, you know, when they become adults, their lives become a little separated, yeah. inevitably. But with these two, no, they've lived this kind of sort of almost hermetically sealed life. And they even go out for dinner together every evening i mean it's and they go away to the the country retreat at the weekends together did that spill out into into a relationship with daniel day lewis or like how you guys had not known each other prior to this or no we hadn't i mean we spent the six seven months prior to shooting just effortlessly becoming friends really and we met a few times probably two or three times because we don't live in the same place We, we we talked on the phone a lot we'd text and it was good. And, and although obviously Leslie and Daniel being friends is, is one thing, it felt important to have a bond together so that we could then take that and sort of, um, reinterpret it. 
and, and, and obviously put quite a few heavy slants on it for Cyril and Reynolds. Yeah. I, I think our listeners are just going to freak out imagining a Leslie Manville, Daniel Day-Lewis text message conversation. And that's, <laughs> yes. That's, that's pretty amazing. Well, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what, another thing that I love about this character it, that, and the way that you play it uh, is that, you know, sh- this is a very together, collected, she looks fabulous all the time kind of kind of woman uh where com- compare that to you mentioned mike lee your beautiful in a whole different way character in an- another year where she's <laughs> yeah. this kind of just sozzled sort of mess yeah um i mean it's just two amazing you know sides of you or i don't know if, or maybe you're not either of those people but like no where w- would you plot yourself on that on that line like where, where <laughs> are you more Cyril? are you more you know I don't well know. i mean first of all i i mean that that's all i'm interested in doing different characters and yeah. doing characters that are not like me and doing characters that are different from the one i've just played hopefully where would i fall between them well you know i have something of the order yeah. of cyril's life i mean i'm quite I'm tidy. Um, I'm quite organized. Um, I don't live a chaotic life, but I'm certainly not, you know, the lonely alcoholic drunk that, uh, that, that Mary is, who is desperately tires, tire, exhausts her friends. At least I hope I don't exhaust my friends. Not in that way anyway. But, um, obviously I understood completely the depths of Mary's despair somewhere along the line. Uh, you know, I, I was able to tap into that, but that's something to do with, you know, the way Mike works and the time you have and the thoroughness with which you and the liberation that you have to create these characters. Yeah. And with Mary and with Mike, you, you got to make what I think is maybe my favorite closing shot of a film ever. Oh, isn't, ever. It, isn't it's, it wonderful? It's incredible. Yeah. And did you know in filming that, like this is, Mike told you this is the, this is the, this is how no. we close the film. And in fact, it's interesting because, because when you make a film with Mike, you only really know about your stuff. It's, it's imperative for the process that you don't know what other characters are up to, what other characters are saying about your character, because otherwise you couldn't have, you couldn't do improvisations that would be, um, trustworthy because I would know that they know something, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I kind of didn't know where the rest of the film was going. I didn't know what Jim Broadbent and Ruth Sheen were really up to in the scenes that I wasn't in. So I remember when it came to do that, last scene which is about six of us eight of us sitting around a table eating and it was a complicated shot because there's a track all the way around the outside of the table and the camera was going to track round and pick out everybody at the table as it went round and the various bits of conversation and then I heard Mike talking to Dick Pope his cinematographer and I knew it was the last scene and uh, of the film and he said and then the camera will come round and then settle on settle on Leslie and I remember thinking he's going to settle on me <laughs> right. and in that moment I thought oh maybe the emotional heart of this film or whatever is about Mary oh wow so you really didn't even no oh, wow I, I didn't it so is I mean she's well yeah. I know but you don't, yeah, you don't I didn't yeah. you, I didn't know that I didn't know that and I genuine shock I thought Christ it's going to end on me well I better do something good <laughs> 
<laughs> and you did. I mean, it's such a searching, sad, relatable, just, you know, kind of lost at this party and just sort of listening and trying to be cheery, but also I know, this that- interiority happening. I know. I can't. Sometimes I think about that character and it just makes me sad. Do you think she's okay now? Oh, Christ. I mean, that's kind of a corny I, you know, question. I mean, but. the thing about that film and all, uh, all, and Phantom Thread, I think as well, is that, it, uh, and good films should leave you talking and wondering what's going to happen. You know, I don't like it when it's all tied up and it's all neat. And somebody said to me the other day, well, yeah, but what happens to Cyril at the end of Phantom Thread? I said, what? What did you want to happen? You wanted to skip off into the sunset with a lover? It's not going to happen. It's just more of the same. Or, or is that what you think? Or do you think that how it, how will it be now that Alma is very much a part of the household and the balance of, of this sort of nearly 60 year relationship that she's had with her brother is going to have to be handled differently? You know, it's interesting. But and she the, has a respect for Alma, which I, th- which I like that the, she the does. Oh yeah. No, she does. She, no, she, she certainly, as time goes by, recognizes that Alma is a force to be reckoned with yeah. and is actually challenging Reynolds in a way that she thinks is probably quite good for Reynolds. Well, you you also are a force to be reckoned with, and, and we're really happy that you came in to talk to us. Leslie Manville, thank you so much. This, oh, was, this was great. Thank you, Richard. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So next up is Richard's conversation with Jamie Bell, the star of Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Well, I'm here sitting across the table from Jamie Bell. Welcome. Thank you. You and your wife were looking out the window and gazing out. Have you not been in this building before? No, I've actually never been down to this part of town. Oh, wow. Actually, ever. Well, welcome. We're glad that we could be your first time. That's, that's very nice. That's a good feeling. Um, so you're kind of at the tail end of what has been a pretty long press tour junket. I don't know what the proper term is for, for Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, which is finally coming out on the 29th. Is that 29th right? 29th of December, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I first saw it at Telluride, where it, uh, it wasn't something, I'll be honest, that was on my radar going into the festival. Yeah. But then when I kind of found out who was in it, and I said, okay, this is, you know, this could be something special. So I'm curious, like, how did you get involved with it? Like, when did it make an impression on you? Was it just reading the script or? Yes, I mean, I was, I was sent the script last year early last year and I, I, I knew nothing about Gloria Graham I knew nothing about the subject of the film all I knew was uh, Annette Benning was in it and I read it 
kind of feverishly just because if, if it had her in it, I wanted to be a part of it. But I really thought it was a bizarre piece of fiction. I couldn't quite wrap my head around the story. It just felt so eccentric and so unexpected and so kind of unbelievable to a degree. And then when I met Barbara Broccoli, who produced the film, um, she told me that she knew Gloria Graham and Peter Turner, the subjects of the film, personally. And that this was a very personal story for her. She'd been trying to make it for 23 years or something. She handed me the memoir on which the, the film's based. I read that and it suddenly all kind of came to light for me a little bit more than the, I and mean, the script was well written. There was nothing wrong with the script at all. Just reading something from his point of view, from his own experience made it feel more, I don't know more believable yeah because it has this kind of um so for people who don't know it's about this younger man an aspiring actor in what is it like late 70s late 70s yeah in, yeah, in yeah. in london um who meets a sort of faded old screen queen from hollywood who's in in england trying to kind of revive her career with the, uh, uh, with theater and they fall in love and it's kind of this eccentric thing and and it does seem a little bit stranger than fiction but there's also something deeply cherished about the story like this is this guy's life this is his memories like is that intimidating at all to sort of jump into that and and kind of have to represent someone and also you know act in in barbara Brockley's kind of passion project well, certainly i think the, the care that he had for her the the affection that he had for her peter i mean you know when you talk to him about it and i certainly did talk to him many times and asked him many questions about his time with her and things that weren't necessarily in the book or things that were in the script that we wanted to you know maybe change what what you get from just talking to him is just how much he cared for her, still cares for her in some ways. I think the memoir was this kind of cathartic process to try and understand it all. It came to kind of such an abrupt end um, with not many answers and things like that. So that was really the, the challenge, the task that was set out before us was how do we make a movie with these two people, these kind of two very unexpected, odd couple scenario make people go along on this journey and, and have them really believe that they're in love that they're in love passionately that they can you know even though there's clearly these all these divisions between them their experiences their life generationally speaking they're obviously different how do we make people believe that they're equal in love and bring people along with us on that journey that was always the the tricky kind of challenge in it and a lot of that was to do with me and annette and how we get along and yeah how did you guys kind of create that dynamic that relationship because it's it feels very familiar in the movie i mean you guys seem to really know each other how, how do you kind of create that on screen i mean i guess you never really know if it's gonna if it's gonna happen you know i mean I, when you walk into a movie most of the time you haven't met the person you're going to be acting opposite and uh, and you never know if you're going to get along and you're spending so much intimate time with one another and so i was really kind of unsure uh so that first meeting i was like really nervous because i was just hoping that we kind of hit it off immediately and i think that would have been very unnatural uh, what we actually did is, is we sat down with the screenplay a lot and just went through it oh, every single day. We, we had like two weeks of rehearsal and we didn't really do any, didn't get anything on its feet at all. We just read through the script a bunch of times. And I think through that, we both understood how, um, passionate we both were about it and how seriously we were taking the roles. And we established a sense of trust, I think, and support. And we always had each other's backs. If she was uncomfortable doing something, I was uncomfortable doing something. How far into the shooting process was the, the dance scene? <laughs> Which is a wonderful, joyous scene. It was uh, it was fairly late on, I think. Um, this film deals a lot with time and the passages of time, and the film will suddenly jump back two years and then, you know, flash forward right. two years. I, I think we did the goodbye scene when, you know, she unfortunately has to go back to America and she 
uh, shortly thereafter passes away, we shot the goodbye scene on like, day two of the schedule. So it was, oh, wow. just, it was just kind of so out of whack. But the dance scene was always a scene that I drew a circle around because I was like, if we can just get through the rest of this schedule, if we can just get through these bedroom scenes where she's, you know, kind of slowly deteriorating and it's very heavy, then at least we'll, we'll have summited. Um, yeah. But it was about halfway through, I would say. I think that's, you know, when I sort of first noticed how much chemistry you guys had together. So I I, I figured it had to have come not on the first day. Like, that was built. No, you know? Saying I love yeah. you and goodbye was like right. the first day. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Another thing that's notable for me about this movie, is, particularly as it pertains to you, is that you've been around a while. You know, you, you started acting and performing as a kid, big movie, Billy Elliot. And you've had a, an interesting kind of peripatetic. You've done different genres. You've done motion capture with Steven Spielberg. You've done, you know, World War II thrillers with Leo Schreiber. But we haven't really seen you do much in the kind of romantic lead department until, right. until this movie, uh, which is good. I mean, it's exciting to, to see you kind of in this different mode. And I'm curious, like, how conscious of are of that are you in like when you're kind of picking projects like are you like okay i need my romantic movie i need this are you that conscious of a genre or i think not particularly i mean i think i'm always looking for something that's just a bit off center yeah like you know so if it's a romantic lead i need a butt in there like i need a but it's surreal or it's abstract or there's something about it which isn't normal i think otherwise if it's too kind of and i've had scripts where there's like romantic roles and and they're just so kind of right down the middle that it kind of it bores me. I was like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bored by them. Yeah. Um, so I do. I do need something extra. I need like that extra little additive that makes it something different. I think I always kind of admire work that is just slightly off, sure. <laughs> slightly abstract. Um, but certainly, I've I've had a, a, a plethora of opportunities to do things, different things, all all the time. I mean, period pieces. You know, all kinds of different period pieces. Roman Britain. Yeah. Um, the famous bromance with Channing Tatum in this film called The Eagle. Don't know it's if you saw movie. that one. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's uh, big with the gay community. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, listen, no. listen, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Jane Eyre was a certain period and as you mentioned, World War II stuff. So I, I guess I just have one of those faces that I'm very fortunate for. You can kind of, doesn't really matter. You can yeah. put him in anything. Which is good. Is there anything you yeah. haven't done yet that you want to? Like any. I want to dance again. I mean, I really, I mean, I dance a little bit in this film. It's not the same thing, but I really do want to use my dance because um, it feels weird to have this thing just kind of lying dormant, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm probably not as good at it anymore. Are you a singer? <laughs> I was asked that yesterday in the lobby of our hotel, wasn't I? Kate Mara's in the room. I'm just going to point that out. She's over there. She's sitting in the corner. Remember? And he said, did you sing? I said, I'm a triple threat. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the answer is no. No, you don't. Okay. Well, so, but I feel like there's a way. Maybe you could do something like Christopher Walken in that video. Jones video. Yeah, yeah. You know, something like that, where yeah, you yeah. you're just showing off a skill. Well, I guess people know you have that skill. Whereas with Walken, I feel like it was. Yeah, but like, yeah, dancing in movies, when it's done well, it's amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it looks so good. I think that's something, something like that. about that. That's such a thrill about that scene in in film stars is is just like you guys were both good at it, and it's just like fun to watch, and it's not just people kind of flailing, you know, without meaning. There's actually like consideration and skill employed, which is exciting. How to are watch. you? How are you at dancing? No, terrible. Oh, really? Avoided it at all costs. Oh. Yeah, I think I went to a wedding. I went to a wedding last summer. I think I like reluctantly danced for like two seconds. Did you? I was like, <laughs> all right. Well, it was a weird wedding. Like Mindy Kaling and Tina Fey were there. Oh, weird. It was a, a, 
a friend of mine who worked on 30 Rock and Mindy mm. Project. Anyway, so it was just well, like... Well, those people kinda, are very fun. Yeah, but it, well, I was intimidated by them. So I was like, they that. can have the dance floor right. and I'll just <laughs> sip my wine. And, okay. Yeah. So dancing, that would be I exciting. I would like to do something, da- some dancing. What about sure. theater? Is that, is that on? Yeah, your, I mean, it's always yeah. something that I've considered. I'm often kind of sent things, certainly out of London, a lot more than, than Broadway. Like, there's things to consider and stuff. And I've been very close in the last couple of years to, to doing something, but I have a kid, I have a wife that, that kind of dedication to moving somewhere for that amount of time. Um, and just taking you out of other things kind of genuinely scares me. I'm always so in admiration of actors who'd go, they just do plays over and over and over again. I'm like, God, I don't know how you guys do that. They're just kind of really deeply into it, I guess. And but they're yeah. called real actors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you get a chance to see a lot, either theater or movies, TV? Like, what, what do you want? I try and see as many movies as I can. I don't see as, as many movies as I should. Um, I'm very affected by movies. Like, I saw The Disaster Artist last night. That's a good one. And I knew nothing about The Room. I'd never seen The Room before. I had no idea who Tommy Wiseau was or anything. I certainly love all the actors and, and disaster artists and stuff. But movies really stay with me. They really do. I, I um, have these very strong relationships with them. I kind of obsess over them. I watched, I saw Gone Girl, I don't know, maybe 20 times. Really? And it was the only film I watched for about three months. And what about that got you? Like, was it the acting? Was know. it the direction? Or just, I don't know. Because yeah. also the thing is that after I watched it about five times, I started to stop watching. As soon as you knew that she was alive, mm-hmm. I stopped watching it. Oh, so you just time. like that first half. I love the yeah. first half. Oh, that's interesting. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. But like things, I mean, um, Grand Budapest Hotel, I got obsessed. I have these very strange obsession, obsessions. I also love documentary more than like fiction films. Have you gotten to see any documentaries? This no, year? but yeah. I do want to see Wormwood, which is the new Errol Morris. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. That's pretty engrossing. Yeah. They did a screening of the whole thing at Telluride where people were just kind of in the theater for five hours or six hours. I saw whatever. the Jim and Andy thing, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw the Roger, uh, the Roger Stone one. Have on you Netflix. seen Faces Places? No, I haven't Agnes Barta, no, it's no, really good. No, I really, yeah, I, it's a di- I mean, it's it's less of a. It's not literally about like facts. It's just kind of following these people around as they make art and talk about. I it. was at the Governor Awards and and they, they were talking about her a lot and they were showing a lot of clips from that. It looked amazing. Um, anything else on the scripted side that you've seen this year that has kind of stuck out? I like Good Time very much. I don't know why, other than it was. I went into it with zero expectations. I knew it was kind of cool, and I was aware of those filmmakers and Robert is a friend of mine, and and. Um, I wanted to support him, but I was just blown. I was really blown away by it. It's so accomplished. I was behind it all the time. I was be- meaning the narrative constantly surprised me and they're very simple kind of tricks, like a botched thing that goes wrong. And there's lots of kind of elements in it, which are very simple, but when they're executed well, it, it kind of keeps you on your toes. And I, it's very rare. I find in movies where I don't know what's going on or what's going to happen or. Well, right. Because you read enough scripts, I would think. So but, you yeah. just get used to these, these structures and stuff. So I was so. I was in there, you know, they were cradling me through that movie, like they were right. taking care of me. And I thought his performance was astonishing. Yeah. I really do. There was something yeah. immediate about it. It was very visceral and raw, and I'd never seen him do something like that well, before. all you have to do is make, you know, tens of millions of dollars doing vampire movies, and then you can work with whatever directors <laughs> yeah. you want for yeah, the rest also, of Yeah, but also, did you see Lost City of Z? I th- yeah, he's fantastic he's in that. He's amazing it's in One there. of the best movies of the year, yeah. 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 This is probably a kind of a trite question, but like when you're watching these things and there's a young performer like that in something like Good Time, how is there an envy factor? Are you like, of oh course. shit, why? Yeah, I mean, of course there is, but you can still enjoy it. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's someone that you like, like I love Rob, he's a friend of mine, and I have nothing but support for him, and I've also been on record with me saying it's one of my favorite performances of the year, and like I've told him many times, I sent him a text the other day and said you were robbed, things like that. So, but yeah, of course, because everyone wants to be doing great work and working with the best people, you know. 
But I, I also study them. You know, if there's something that I really admire, I just watch it over and over and over again. And you're producing as well. So you're kind of making yeah. stuff for yourself these days. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You have like something coming up. I don't know if you can talk yeah, about no, it. No, but... no, I can't. So it's a movie called Teen Spirit. Um, my best friend, Max Mingala, directed it. And uh, Fred Berger, who did La La Land, is producing it. And I'm the executive producer on it. And uh, it stars Elle Fanning. And it's about a girl who wants to sing. Great. And that's the very basic. Pitch. How do you like that role? I mean, is it like the producing aspect? I mean, is it, it did you have to kind of learn on the job or did you just, you know, have the in, in institutional knowledge because you'd been on so many film sets or? Well, I have a lot more sympathy for producers now. Yeah. Actors really give them a hard time. Uh, just, <laughs> just kind of witnessing that from the other side. Just really simple things of like when they, when are they getting into town? How close are they getting into town before shooting? Well, you know, two days before. Well, could we get like five days before? Like things like that. You right. Know? Um, uh, but no, I, I learned on the job. I followed Fred's lead a lot. And, but to me, there's, if, if you're, if you've made films, I mean, I've been making films for half my life. There is the kind of instinctual element of this is how things should be done. And right. And I, I find that like with, with things like that, you know, if someone asked me a question, not about writing particularly, but like about how some other aspect of the media world works after 10 years in it, I'm like, oh, actually, I kind of do know the answer right, to that, right, you know, right. even though I don't think of myself as that. Well, because we're in post right now, so it's like a kind of editorial process. And while I know um, I've used editing equipment before, just, you know, I certainly know, don't really know the ins and outs of like the subtleties of filmmaking, pre-lapping sound or what those little techniques that you just, you know so well if you've been doing it forever. Um, so it's all a learning curve I think for me and for Max, you know. And something you'd like to do again. Totally. I mean, yeah. I w I'd work with Max from now till forever. I think he's a great filmmaker. He's his vision for this is very specific and the movie looks beautiful. We had this this girl called Autumn Gerald. Um she was the DP on this movie. She shot Palo Alto and oh, a bunch yeah. of other That's things. She's amazing. she's got an amazing eye. This movie looks so beautiful. And Elle, I think, will surprise people. She sings covers of these songs. So we've recorded them with uh, Marius de Vries, who is the music supervisor. I think her voice is going to blow people away. And this is something to look forward to next year? Next year, we're kind of c considering, you know, which route to go with it. Like um, festivals exactly, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So that's all kind of... A, a music, that feels like South by Southwest or something. Maybe I don't know. something like yeah. that, yeah. yeah. We are ostensibly uh, an award season podcast. Um, is, that, are, is that something you pay attention to at all? Like, How can you not? Yeah. It's like an aspirant like are you like oh that'll be me someday or are you more just kind of watching like no as a it's, it's yeah. all business yeah yeah it's a it's everything's business I, I mean i pay attention to i mean things that i really shouldn't numbers you know opening with theater counts how wide is it going so you're reading box office mojo all the time and, yeah. constantly yeah but it's also easily obtained now which i love yeah you know it's right uh, there me and max often go back and forwards can you believe like the second week drop off of blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny because i i see you guys kind of lurking on, on twitter right. yeah, you know yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. you don't say a lot but you're there no, we're always we're you're, always you're reading <laughs> yeah all right well that's good to know that's take that with you as we go into the holiday season jamie bell is watching you and you can watch jamie bell december 29th in film stars don't die in liverpool jamie thank you so much it's such a pleasure it is an honor in fact oh likewise thank you and, and to you kate exactly <laughs> thanks katie that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Happy New Year. We will see you in 2018. In the meantime, you can find our work at VanityFair.com, and we're all on Twitter at Little Gold Men. This episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth, and thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. 
From lowbrow to highbrow to in between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.